0: I'm Steve Duke and this is Two Roads Podcast. Today on the show, we have Lucy Lee. Lucy's story could be a novel. She was adopted at a very young age and had this really idyllic childhood growing up in England. And in her late twenties, she had translated that idyllic childhood into a very idyllic adulthood. She describes it very much as keeping up with the Joneses. She was working in sales in the UK, making great money living in a beautiful house in devon with a mercedes c-class in the drive and she was engaged but then all that changed and lucy took a massive leap to leave all that behind her and follow her gut to do something completely different now i don't want to spoil the story for you so i'll leave it at that for now but on this episode you'll hear about what happened to lucy after leaving her idyllic adult life behind and moving to the other side of the world Lucy's career journey from working as a PT to working in sales to now working in sales enablement and what she enjoys about her job. While she has done courses in DJing and barista training, how to use life design to work backwards from what you want in life. While Lucy decided to live a more wholesome life and what that means for her. What Lucy has learned about moving where you live, she's lived in the UK, Australia and New Zealand over the past few years, and how to make friends as an adult. Lucy has this appetite for life that is very contagious. She's a genuine human who's very open about the lessons that she has learned along her journey and I think that's what makes this such a wonderful conversation. So just before we get into today's conversation, there's something that I really want to tell you about. And this is something that I've been working on for actually quite some time. If you follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn, you may already know about it. But if not, what I've announced over the last week is a new program called Divergence. And this is all about trying to help people find a job that will actually make them happy. So I started this podcast with that goal. I realized there was a lot of people who were doing a job that they didn't really love, but weren't sure what it is that they did want to do. And hopefully, whether this is the first episode you've listened to, or whether you've listened to many of them, the podcast has been helpful in that way. You've been able to listen to people's stories, hear what they do, maybe get some inspiration or motivation from that. But it's still really hard to actually go through that process of figuring out what specific job is it that you'd like, what sort of lifestyle do you want, and then making that change from whatever you're in at the minute into that new career. And that's what this program is all about doing. So it's a four-week program specifically designed from all the lessons that I've learned about what works, what doesn't work when trying to find out what it is that you want to do. I'm only going to run this for a small cohort of people on the first time around. So you can sign up now for the wait list so that when it fully launches and you can actually book a seat on it, you'll be first in line. If this is something that you're interested in, you can find the link in the show notes for this episode. So just in your podcast player, you can open it up and at the top of kind of the description of the podcast, you'll see the link and that's what you can use to sign up to the waitlist. And then also if you follow me on socials, all the links will be there as well. I hope you enjoy my chat with Lucy Lee. Let's get into it. Lucy, thanks for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Can you tell me a bit about what life was like for you growing up?
1: I'm going to take you all the way back to a lovely small town in the UK in southwest of England called Lyme Regis. So I grew up there, very small town syndrome, beach life growing up, which I was very fortunate to have. Kind of the white picket fence dream, I would guess I would say that would be the epitome of Lyme Regis. People, there's two types of people from Lyme. They either leave or they stay (laughs) like there's no in between you either stay in Lyme Regis forever or you and it's called seaside syndrome you just get so used to the nice environment or you leave and you come back and you appreciate what it is that you had growing up essentially so it's kind of two versions of people that I think come from come from Lyme as as a child.
0: When you go back now are you like oh I love this place? Absolutely love it. Is that what you would call home?
1: I pinpoint home now to a a feeling probably more than the place but Lime will always be That's you know I had the same school growing up primary to secondary like I've known some of my friends since I was four years old very lucky to have that place for sure and you go back now and you're like oh yeah this is really really nice like I took my partner back who's Australian last year and was like she's like is this where you grew up I was like yeah and it was like 40 degrees and I said it was amazing weather and I said you can never come back again now <laughs> like you've seen it at its best we can probably never go back
0: but you weren't born in the UK, right? So you've got an interesting story. You were adopted at quite a young age, right?
1: Correct. So my mum, unfortunately, couldn't have children naturally. So my mum is from the South and my dad is a Geordie. And they saw, I think if I can recall the story, there was it was kind of the fall of the Iron Curtain in like Eastern Europe at that time. So I'm a 91 baby. And there was a lot of children just needing homes and and love. So they went out to Eastern Europe and they went to Russia initially and realized there was a lot of corruption going on there. So they decided to go to Bulgaria and they had a translator called Cyril who um, and they filmed the whole thing over like a period of time. They were going into orphanages and me. So there was kind of two. I mean, my birth birth. mother kind of done two really good things for me one was she ticked on this birth certificate that I could be adopted but more importantly she ticked a box to say that I could be adopted from overseas so that allowed my mum and dad to be actually able to adopt me and they flew back and forth between Bulgaria over a period of maybe like I think it was about nine months. So they saw me from really super young, like weeks old, I think. And then officially got me into the UK at about, I think it was about nine months old. So yeah, it was a very different start, I guess, to a lot of, a lot of people.
0: Do they have like that film?
1: Yeah. So there's pictures and I've got it now. It's like I got, only got permanent residency in Australia about a month ago. And I like, I massively reflect on that and I go what my life could have been you know, there was a program that came out in the UK, maybe like maybe eight, nine years ago now called from Russia with love. And they went back to Russia, Bulgaria, and they went and revisited these orphanages of these children that unfortunately were never adopted. And I I unfortunately don't even see a similarity there. But it is very much what my life would could have been like. And it is a very sad state of affairs, what happened out there. And yeah, my mum and dad gave me an opportunity that, you know, I'll never be able to repay them for or thank them enough for. But yeah they then and then allow me to travel the world and not cling on like I've never been wrapped up in cotton wool they've kind of let me have my own life and been very supportive of that so that's been I think I look at my mum now and I look well maybe I'm gonna have kids in a few years or so and you go god would I really let my adopted child just go over to the other side of the world at a pretty young age so yeah they did an amazing job.
0: (laughs) When you were growing up then in this you know very Idealistic, like childhood on the seaside 10. Do you remember, like, was there anything when you were growing up that you're like, this is what I want to be when I grow up. This is like my dream job.
1: I did actually. So I kind of went from three different things. I went from wanting to be in the police. That was like my number one ultimate goal. I wanted to be in the police. Uh, My uncle was a detective inspector in the Met. So like really looked up to him, which I probably didn't realize, but then I really did as I grew up. And then I changed and wanted to go and be a PE teacher just because I loved sport. And then I failed my maths GCSE and was like, oh, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I just want to be a personal trainer. So that's when I went into being a personal trainer. But yeah, I've always been. And I remember thinking as a kid growing up in line, like if you can get to about thirty thousand pound a year, you're doing all right because they're proper people's jobs, like teachers and doctors and nurses. And and then you get and then you realise that the cost of living at the moment, I mean, you'd be you'd be struggling to to actually enjoy. Life at that, especially in the in places like London and the middle of Sydney, the ambitions change as I got older for sure.
0: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like I remember kind of having a similar thing growing up, but I think it's like it is about kind of the cost of living of where you are. We both decided to move to you know some of the most expensive places in the world. So it's kind of if we both probably stayed in our hometowns, we could have got away with earning a lot less and, and haven't been able to support like a, a slightly more extravagant uh, lifestyle.
1: A hundred percent. It's like um those reels at the moment where your family are like, if you don't buy your one coffee a day, you could save $20,000 over 10 years. But it's OK. My family have bought one house and made a million dollars because they were baby boomers. And <laughs> we're just not in that bucket and I'm not willing to sacrifice my coffee. so. <laughs>
0: I hate that advice so much. (laughs) I actually saw this reel the other day and it was the exact same thing, right? It was like, if you don't buy your coffee every day, you will save, you know, $5 a day and then you will have removed the last piece of joy from your life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's literally how I feel. 100%.
0: But it is interesting as well because, like, you know, the cost of living in some places is obviously super high and, like, if you live in Sydney or wherever else like it's going to be high but then i'm like yeah but i'm paying for like an amazing lifestyle so it's actually like this is a trade i'm willing to make like i moved here for a reason like i'm happy to to pay the money to be able to kind of have this lifestyle
1: yeah 100 percent.
0: okay so tell me the story then so you've kind of you decided you wanted to be a a personal trainer like what happens next
1: so you know in the uk you do your GCSEs, you go to sixth form you do your a levels you go to college and get a b-tech whatever it may be i did a PE beat tech kind of everyone goes off right and they go they do their gap years or they go to uni and do freshers and I wasn't really sure where I fitted in at that point I was like, I don't want to go to uni because I'm probably not academically like there and I also wanted to be a PT so what a waste of money in my own head and at the same time I wasn't really ready to go traveling I still felt quite young at that point. But I thought, do you know what? I'll go on a ski season <laughs> and um, I've skied forever. So I went out to Les Deux Alpes in the France and went on a ski season. And of the six months, I think I lasted about 13 days. It's become a running joke in my life. I, I hated it. I was changing rooms one day. Got the like readover that morning from the manager of like what needed to be done. like rock rooms need to be changed? I looked at it and just went, excuse my French, fuck this. Left to the um, chalet. Rang my mum. just December because she hadn't even made it to Christmas. Rang my mum and went, mum, I'm coming home. And she went, what do you mean you're coming home? Like, pure panic. Like, there is snow in the UK. She's like, how are you going to get from the airport back home? And I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm done. And that probably sums up a bit my personality. Like, if I'm out, I'm out. And if, I, if I'm in, like, if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no for me. So there was a big part of me that just went, nah, I'm going home. So then I spent the rest of that year kind of waitressing and faffing around and applied for a job at David Lloyd without understanding what a great gym facility it was and health health club got in there and started working between kids club and reception and then eventually they paid for my personal training qualification over about a two-year period so i had a decent stint there next to david lloyd and they were they were brilliant they looked after me and i made some great connections and and that was half the reason i ended up in australia
0: are you the type of person who makes decisions then very much based on like your emotions or like vibe towards a, a certain avenue
1: yeah, I'm a nightmare. Yeah, my mum can't cope. My partner describes it as living in a washing machine. <laughs> you know if you know, right? Like gut feeling, you know if what you're doing it feels right. And for me, I needed to get home. That wasn't right. So I did. Just went right, okay, let's let's do this.
0: Okay. So then you're you're working in the UK in David Lloyd's. And then what was kind of what led you to make the decision to move to Australia in the first instance?
1: My friend who I worked with at the time and is still a friend to this day, she went with her partner at the time and they went and she came from a sailing background. And she said to me, she'd been out maybe six months. And she said, if I get you on a yacht loose, will you come to Australia? And I said, a yacht for New Year's Eve in Sydney Harbour. I went, yeah, I'll come out for that. And this went on like it was a running joke. And then one night in the middle of the night, I got a phone call and it was like, loose, loose, loose. I've booked it. Book your flights. Come on out now. So me and my partner, we booked our flights and six months later off we went. So she's probably the, the was the like the trigger to why we initially came out here. And we landed on New Year's Eve um, and had an amazing time.
0: And did you end up on the on the yacht?
1: We ended up on a Paralympian's yacht for, for New Year's Eve. Very jet lagged, but it was amazing. Yeah, it was definitely a way to land
0: Oh my God, that sounds incredible. My brother, he lives in Sydney now as well, but he first came out like maybe four years ago and he had the exact same experience. He landed on New Year's Eve and it wasn't a yacht. We were on this like tiny little rib that my boss had landed me at the time for New Year's because he wasn't in in town. And so I picked my brother up at like 9pm from the airport and we just like went straight to the harbour basically got on the boat he was like I don't know maybe 19 at the time and we were sending like pictures to my parents and I was like you know the guy's been in the country like three hours and you know there's a picture of him like with the harbour bridge in the background like on a boat like the fireworks going off it was pretty cool pretty cool introduction it's probably all downhill after that
1: best fireworks in the world aren't they
0: so when you moved to Australia then were you a, a personal trainer in Australia were you like this is kind of the career I want to go down like were you enjoying it is that what you wanted to do at the time
1: yeah, I think that's exactly what I wanted to do. And that was kind of the intention. Um, myself and my ex-partner, we did the East Coast and we actually had a bit of a fun time. We had, a, we had got a camper van from Sydney up to Brisbane. And we got, we'd been watching I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, like a lot of other English people. And they get filmed or they go out to the hotel in the Versace, Plaza Versace on the Gold Coast. So um, we are like, oh, we'll drop in there for a, for a high tea um, and a glass of fizz. So we pull up in this juicy camper van. are these, if you're in the UK, massive like green and purple vans, like really ugly things, like proper travellers. And we um and we got out of the car and they went, would you like us to take your bags, madam? And we we're like, no, thanks. <laughs> so in we go, we have these glasses of champagne. And we sat there and we're like, should we just stay for the night? And he's like, should we actually? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So we actually just stayed in the Versace, not for one night, but two. Ran out of money, poolside. <laughs> And then started looking for jobs because we'd run out of money. We actually landed and stayed in Broadbeach, which is just down the road, for about four months after that period. And that's when I got my job. So I fell, totally fell into gym sales. Applied for a job with this guy. He was amazing. Little club in Broadbeach. And he gave me a job in sales and it was my first exposure to sales. And he used to sit me in a room, it's called Jacques, to sit me in this room for like four or five hours a day and just sales train with me. He'd be like asking me the most awkward questions and it would go on and on and on. It'd be like objection after objection. That was probably the the training I got initially. But yeah, I did very well at that. I was pretty successful my first few months and there was a switch that went, Well, obviously sales is the right way. Like Lucy's been told to think before she speaks and is too enthusiastic for the last 20, 20 years. Like she not in sales.
0: What was it that you think made you naturally good at Tales then?
1: I mean I've curved it I've got better now I can listen to other people but initially it was the conversation I worked in a little shop when I grew up in Lyregis called the Slitway and I was 12 so I worked from 12 to 18 in this little big beachside shop newspapers bucket spades alcohol like whatever you could think of that place sold it so I was working with adults I guess since I was 12 the communication And I learned those skills very young. So I probably credit that to them. And then all of a sudden you realize that you've got this transferable skill set and actually just have conversations with a lot of different people and and find that common ground.
0: This guy that was kind of sitting you down and giving you this sales training, asking all these tough questions and helping you to figure out like how to answer them and kind of refine your pitch or whatever else it is. That strikes me as like, an incredibly valuable thing to have. I think, especially like early in your career, it's like, if you can just find one person who kind of takes you under their wing and is gonna put the time into you and be like, hey, you're new at this, you don't know, but I do know, and I'm gonna spend a load of time to like make you better. Like that just strikes me as if you can get that early in your career, it just, I think it's like so
1: valuable. Oh, one hundred percent, and it all comes like you all know this as well, right? It's like it's not what you know; it's who you know. It, that becomes evident when you get into the real world.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. Like, um, I've helped a couple of people go through like different job searches over like the past couple of years, and like naturally, especially if they haven't kind of, if they're a bit younger or if they haven't been through the job search before, they're like, you know, oh, like I applied to like all these applications on like Indeed or on LinkedIn Jobs or whatever else it is, and like. Yeah, but like the response rates from them is like so low. Like that's honestly, it's not really how anybody gets a job. It's just not. And then you kind of go through the process. And then a couple of months later, they got a job. And i like, so how'd you get it? And they're like, oh, yeah. So like I met this guy at a bar and he was telling me about like this thing that he was doing. And then I followed up with him. I was like, yeah, OK, that's it's weird. But like that is just how the world works
1: like Sydney's a village, like the six degrees of separation is true in life and even more since social media. But in Sydney, especially like I have never been involved in a working environment where someone knows someone within 10 minutes of having a drink with them. Like it is ridiculous how quickly you can connect the dots.
0: It very much is. Okay. So we're at this point, you're working because you spent all your money at this beautiful hotel and then you need to- get some coin back in the bank account again what's kind of like the next like inflection point for you in your career
1: we spent that 12 months traveling but working and unlike a lot of travelers i guess we progressed our careers at the same time without really meaning to but we went back to sydney friends were down here and ended up in another gym sales job it was actually david lloyd's sister company in sydney randomly who's that Next generation, they're out in ride. Really nice. It's next door to the aquatic center. Literally, this Scott Lloyd's got a lot to do with it. And I ended up in sales there. I ended up the top sales rep out of like 30 of us across two countries. And all of a sudden realized I was pretty good at this. The big next inflection was going home. So we decided we wanted to go home. I was very ready to go home. And we moved straight into Manchester. So we'd been home like 12 days. We're from Devon. And we were like, we want to see life. So off we go. We're off to Manchester. And I fell into, or I applied for a job, which I didn't really understand what it was. It was called a property sales consultant. I was like, I'm not really sure what this is. It ended up being in real estate for a, a prop tech company, which I didn't even know what that was at the time, but that is what it was. I guess we lived in the UK for about another six months. We went through a winter. And I used to just get like really itchy feet i'll be like it is miserable weather we've got nothing to do but go to the pub life here is not the same as what i remember we moved back to the back to devon because it was just raining in, the, in manchester so i thought that i would fix it kept the same job so just traveled back down they took me it was a national company and we bought a house we so thought that would fix it in exeter we bought a three-bed townhouse and in the same year we bought a mercedes c-class so you just see this life now starting to track and it's like here we go keeping up with the joneses is happening and we both had good jobs we earned way too much money way too young when i look back like not stupid amounts of money but we just didn't know what to do with it so we just drank too much and went on really ridiculous, ridiculous holidays which maybe that's what you should do like when i look back maybe that was what we should should do really i remember getting to a point and being like this isn't what i want like i don't want this white picket fence life And it was nothing to do with the person I was with. It was the environment in which I was in. And I got engaged in the same year. And again, that was, of course, like probably one of the most happiest times of my life that engagement and and the happiness that surrounded that. But you realize that the pieces just aren't quite clicking. That's the only way I can describe it is the pieces of the puzzle weren't quite right. I took a job with a company in the UK called Purple Bricks. I ended up training their sales reps and lettings reps so I was away a lot traveling every week and in the end that kind of ended up dissolving my relationship it wasn't good for it Um, I met someone else that year who happened to be a woman so that really chucked life on its head this is where the big inflection happened she was Australian and she came back to Australia and I had an option I either stayed and went ahead with a wedding and would have had, I would have described my life as 90% better than so many other people's. Like, he was an incredible guy. The lifestyle we had was amazing. It just wasn't for me. So it was either do that or take the risk and just go. So I booked the flight, and went to Australia, <laughs> I went right, let's give this another go. He didn't wanna to go to Australia. It wasn't the lifestyle that he wanted, and I just went. Well, I do, and I. If I, I the 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 thought of not knowing would eat away at me far more. Like the what if would eat away, and I knew that because about my personality, I knew if I didn't know what it was, I didn't care if it was nothing. Actually, I was like, I just need to know what it is, but I can't leave it. So yeah, booked a flight to Australia. If anyone asked, I didn't follow up, but definitely followed up.
0: <laughs> well, this this is exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> when you booked that flight, in your mind, were you going there? for the woman that you met or were you going there to kind of scratch this itch of like i feel like there's a a different lifestyle that is not what i want or not what i'm kind of experiencing at home right now
1: both i think the commonality which we both had with each other was australia like that was clearly the initial click i remember sitting on formby beach in liverpool being like we could be in manly and we could do this and all, and then like four years later we've literally create our life by design and kind of manifestation at its finest we didn't even realize that's what we wanted we're doing really but yeah we really worked towards that
0: <laughs> the way you're going to talk about this time is that you've a, a very kind of like positive like approach to it right whereas like i'd imagine some people who would be in that situation could feel like incredibly like stressed or like really worried about it or I can imagine it also be like could be quite confusing for people is that stuff that came up for you as well or were you actually like no I, I kind of know what I want or I know like the risks that I want to take or the chances that I want to take and go after what was it like for you around that time?
1: um it was incredibly confusing confusing would be a great word my family didn't know um remember the fact that I would have just walked away from a wedding so I couldn't then go oh by the way it was because of this like I had I didn't know how to even handle that so my version of handling it was just running like run away (laughs) like I'll fix it later so yeah it was confusing the person who knew was obviously me and Lindsay were in that bubble we knew uh, but I actually was very honest with the partner that I was with at the time and very very shit situation for him as well right but he was incredibly supportive. If you were to write down or picture someone that would be as supportive as they could be in that situation when it was horrendous for them as well, he was that, like he was as good as he could be. And he actually is in Australia now with his current partner and they're about to have a child and, you know, life moves forward and those risks that were taken clearly paid off. But yeah, confusing was the time. And when we came to Australia, I waited about a month and a half before I told my family. And I'll tell you a funny story about my dad when I told him later on. But I told my mum, gave her a couple of days, and she was amazing. She was like, I don't care, like, as long as you're happy. Um, and my mum is incredibly supportive. I'm very lucky with that. My to- my whole family are been really good. But yeah, it would have been a, bit a shock to them as well, I think. And the other sort of swing ball to this was I knew I couldn't stay in Australia. So we came, I came for six weeks on like a traveling visa. And then actually got sponsorship in New Zealand whilst I was here for a recruitment company. So I went to New Zealand and I remember saying to Lynn's like, you've got two options. Do you want to come or do not? Like, and she'd been away for like six years. And she was like, I've got to tell my family that I'm going again. And I was like, yeah, if you want to, like, there's no pressure, and <laughs> so she came. So we lived in Auckland for about six months. In the interim, really, whilst we kind of figured out if we were going to get back to Australia, what it was with us, it kind of just gave us that six months of just seeing what it was and if it was anything worth worth pursuing. So yeah, confusing would be a word, but I just kept my head down with what my gut thought. I ignored the noise. Otherwise, I'd probably still be an Exeter in the three bed townhouse with the Mercedes. <laughs>
0: That's crazy to think about the alternative like life paths that you can get in and like that would be very, very different to your life today, right?
1: Yeah, massively.
0: Were you always somebody who is good at kind of tuning into like your gut and kind of, you know, what you wanted um, or is that something that you had to kind of learn more?
1: I think in more recent years, I've got some friends who are very in tune with themselves and I've kind of taken it upon myself to learn that stuff and be more grounded and Take more time. Like I have a rule now, like I won't live more than 5K, like a a five, 10 minute walk from the beach. Like for me, I need the beach. It's like my calm. There's just some things now which are just non-negotiables for me. Which mean that I can take the time I need to think decisions through a little bit more when I need to. Not quite so gung ho, but always still maintaining that like if it's if you feel it in your gut it's probably right. You just sometimes might need to take a little bit longer to to make the decision rather than shotgun decisions like I used to.
0: Yeah, totally. I imagine people want to know what happens to the end of this story. You kind of left them in a bit of a clean hanger of like you know you end up calling off a marriage, moving across the other side of the world for a woman that you've met. But what happens next?
1: I mean, it sounds picture perfect. So we now live in rural, just down the road, about an hour down from Sydney. I've got a little dog called Nala. She's a five kilo Cavoodle. And life's really good. It turned out so far so good. Nothing's perfect. There's been a lot of bumps in the road. But we've always been, and I think this is probably my advice to a lot of people, so incredibly selfish. And I think that's sometimes looked down upon, like, shouldn't be so selfish. Like, think of others. But actually, it's your life. And it's only going to be you at the end of it. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and regret anything. The, the only things I will regret are hurting people. But sometimes I've had to do that to get to where I need to be. And there was an avoidance that you just couldn't get away from. But yeah, I think we've been like undoubtedly selfish in creating our own life by design. And I'm really not sorry for that.
0: <laughs> What's an example of something that you've done that, you know, people might consider selfish?
1: Moving to the other side of the world without considering anyone else, like how my family might feel, how Lindsay's family might have felt just as she got home and moved to New Zealand. We've just kept things really how we want them. Yeah. People have opinions and often their opinions are a thought of their own life, not yours. Like it's normally a personal problem of theirs that they're putting on to you is my thought on it.
0: Yeah. I think that's actually so important because sometimes I think that it's good to do things for other people, Right. But doing good things for other people is actually not the opposite of being selfish. You can do both. And sometimes I wonder, it's like, if everybody's running around trying to be selfless, trying to like make everybody else happy, do what everybody else wants, then if you kind of take that to its conclusion, it means that nobody's doing what they want to do. So everyone's running around trying to make everybody else happy. And meanwhile, like who's making themselves happy? And so I actually think like being a bit more selfish is a really good thing to do. And sometimes what I've actually found is like being selfish is doing something for others because you say, do you know what? I feel really good when I help out other people. And so in a weird way, I'm actually doing this for selfish reasons. I wrote like an essay on this recently and I was just like kind of like the things that I kind of find meaning or purpose in or that make me feel good. And I was like, I like helping people. Honestly, it's not for any kind of like moral reasons. It's because I feel good when I help people. And if that's selfish, then fine. I actually don't care. Totally. When we were talking last week, when we caught up, we were talking about kind of living a a wholesome life. I think that's actually something that's cropped up with a few of my friends. And they say, like, you know, I want I want more wholesome days or more wholesome moments or whatever else. What does living a wholesome life mean for you?
1: Living my non-negotiable. So there's things in my day which like I don't want to go to bed not doing. So that would be a walk down the beach, a coffee, um, a dip if it's warm enough, exercise. So like 10,000 steps as a minimum. Like there's just some things which for me, I really try and live by now. If I go, get to the end of the day and I've done those things, I'm like, oh, I've had a really good day. Like if nothing else, I've achieved those two or three things which make me really happy. And they cost like next to nothing. A $5 coffee in Sydney's about as high as it gets and I find like I travel quite a bit with work or I used to. And when I'd be in London, I'd find that tough because for me, like there was no wholesomeness. And that meant like there was no sunlight. The coffee's awful. (laughs) It's a pub culture. So you go to the pub in the evening. It's late mornings. Like I love getting up early in the morning. For me, that creates a really nice space to have time. And no good idea came sitting at a desk. All my good ideas come when I'm walking. So like therefore a non-negotiable is my steps. Like that's where my brain goes, yay, this is exciting
0: has cropped up a bit as well. Another other conversations that I've had, I was talking to um, just a podcast I released yesterday with a woman called Claire Carl. And she was saying a version of this, which is that she's now finding like so much joy in like normality, like kind of just like the little rituals and things. And, you know, whether that's like getting a coffee at her Local coffee shop, or like just going for a walk around her neighborhood, and like all these little things that when she was younger she would have heard and probably been like disgusted by, right? You know, it's just like, oh my god, that's so boring. You got to be doing cooler stuff than that. You've turned into like an adult, right? She's like, no, like this is this is what I love now.
1: I had this conversation with Lynn's yesterday. I was saying that actually, if I look back on my life, if I had this life now, like five years ago, I'd be bored. I wasn't ready for it. It just wasn't right. And I also went sober for a year last year. So I did 12 months sober. And I saw like a Johnny, I think it was Johnny Depp or something like that. It was a clip. And he said, like, initially, when you give up alcohol, you think your high is like your, your life's really boring because you're used to like being up here, whether that's through drugs, some people take drugs, some people drink, whatever it may be to get that high. So you live up here constantly. And then when you're not drinking or doing any of the other stuff, you're here. And after like six months, you all of a sudden realize here is normal. And so like having that coffee takes you to here and it's all the smaller things and living in like the the baseline, that's good. Like I believe that's a really good foundation to have had and I still haven't found one good long-term effect alcohol um, and I will still have a drink every now and again now. But knowing that that affects my routine the next morning, like my wake up, my dog walk, my beach, that's what I try and avoid. Like that's what I don't want it to eat into. So I totally agree with Claire. <laughs>
0: I've had a couple of people on the podcast as well who've done something similar, right? Either kind of given up alcohol completely for a stint or like really reduce the amount that they drink. And it kind of seems to be like a common trend among like certain people, especially think like, you know, people who are looking for like a more wholesome life, who enjoy their mornings. And I've also kind of been in that boat where I would have reduced a lot, like the amount that I drink. Here's my one challenge with it or the one challenge that I have. Okay. It's Friday morning today. It's like, I've had a big week this evening I don't want to go out and get smashed but I need something to celebrate or to like recognize the end of the week like something to look forward to and a drink does that really really well and I'm yet to find a good substitute for it like something where I like kind of just like signifies like yep job well done you got there relax now don't worry for a couple hours you know I don't need to get smashed but just like a few drinks and maybe like maybe one more than is like you know completely reasonable
1: there's nothing better sometimes than a glass of red and a roast like they they go hand in hand like (laughs) i totally get that
0: (laughs) did you find any kind of substitute for those moments where like i you know i want to celebrate something or i want to just kind of relax at the end of a week or like something that you found was good for those moments
1: (laughs) i'd like to be like the messiah and tell you something incredible i didn't i swore to myself i didn't want to take myself out of a social scene so i would still go to everything that happened i would just stay on zeros. It was just a little bit boring. But Heineken Zero, there was a thing for me. If it was in a glass bottle, I was okay. I don't know why. (laughs) And in the UK, you can get non-alcoholic pints at like BrewDog. So again, that was fine. But the reality of it was I got bored at 10 o'clock. I cut everyone off. People got louder. They got annoying. The conversation just got destroyed and i'd be like i'm gonna catch up with you tomorrow now so i didn't lose any friends or anything like that but i I had a cut off time at 10 o'clock i still went to every single social and people just annoyed me a little bit more after 10 p.m essentially
0: there's probably a good time frame though because you can just like go home at 10 you can still be up early and like have your have a good night's sleep and then you're golden Okay, let's switch gears then a little bit. So we kind of talked about a lot of your career um, in terms of like working as a personal trainer, moving into gym sales, working in a prop tech company and some of the jobs you had there. Talk to me about what you do now. How do you describe that?
1: Oh, so now I work in an industry called sales enablement. So I essentially work with businesses to help optimize their sales processes, their sales training implement sales methodologies. um, And yeah, basically go to market is kind of where the space I'm in now. And when I came to Australia, I moved into a company called HubSpot, which I was a massive fan of, like such a great company to be part of and almost like the best in class of what they did. So sales enablement was kind of a natural transition Where I was in most businesses without sounding big-headed, I was always kind of that top percent of salespeople. So all of a sudden, you get to like 10 years in sales, and I was like, I can do more here, and I can help more people rather than just making a sale. So sales enablement was a really nice transition of like, you're going to look after people's coaching, you're going to look after their technology stack, and you're going to look after the sales journey. So that for me was kind of where I wanted to go and, and where I am now, and I really enjoy that.
0: For somebody who knows nothing about sales enablement, what does your actual day look like? Like, what are you doing on a day-to-day basis in this role?
1: It's a fair question. I have to think about it and explain. How would I say it to my gran? (laughs) I work with businesses to essentially help create or align on their sales processes. So how they deal with a prospect or customer from the first time they meet them until the end of that customer journey, whether that be a closed one deal or the renewal. I work with the sales reps inside those companies to onboard them. To help with their processes, because if they've got a big technology stack, it's helping use use what when the technology side is a, pe- a piece of that, and then the process behind that. So, whether that's following a sales methodology or whether that's more one to one coaching or how to use a CRM, we help increase revenue. Essentially, is the bottom line um, is the corporate corporate world, I guess. Of that, if you don't create, if you're not increasing revenue, see you later. <laughs> and
0: what is it about this world that you really like?
1: People like, you know, when you tell someone something and they get the light bulb moment, that's what I get to do like every day now. And that is so fun. Making hard stuff sound simple. That's kind of what I'm really good at. And that's probably my like superpower, so to speak. Um, working in complex technology sales is a weird, strange world with loads of acronyms and people have no idea what you do. So having the ability to make that stuff sound simple to like either my mum <laughs> or people in the same industry or people I was selling to, I realized was quite a unique thing that I was able to do quite quickly. And that's what I enjoy.
0: I've noticed that even just from this conversation, that that's a skill you have and like you're also a very good storyteller. Is that something that you learned?
1: Yeah, I've just definitely worked a lot on my own personal sales skills. I've put myself through things like Sandler. I'm an ambassador for them. I got qualified in that type of thing. My next piece of work I want to look at is NLP training. You know, 80% of what we hear is actually in tone. It's not what we actually say, all that type of thing and body language. And um, I want to really hone down on that. And I I know you had one of my friends on Beck's, so and one of the things that she's always said to me is, and I live by this now, is like, I never want to be the smartest person in the room so if I can learn something from someone like I'm all in like, that's that's where I want to go
0: on Monday I was down in uh, Melbourne for a piece of work and I remember like looking around the room and I was like I am nowhere even close to the smartest person in this room and I was like this is the room I want to be in for sure and it was just like one of those realizations was, like these are all really smart people but like they're also really good like kind people like they've got super experience. I was like I need to be in more of these rooms because yes you you learn tons but then i also get like inspired and motivated by it like when you see somebody who's like amazing that kicks you on to go oh like i would love to be as good as like even 20 percent as good as they are
1: my manager who i now work alongside Danielle, said to me really early on in sales enablement when i was working for her she said to me the thing that i love most loose and don't lose it is you ask the questions which everyone else is thinking so it may sound silly when it comes out your mouth but the likelihood is and I I live by this as well now if you're thinking it so is someone else so just ask a question I think that's probably what I try and do a lot of
0: do you have any other like things like that like kind of lessons or tips that you've picked up along the years that you try and live by
1: I thrive at the deep end and maybe not everyone does but like go for the things that you think you won't get because the only thing that you'll get from that is your learnings if you go for a job that you think is too high or it's too much of a leap, the likelihood is you may not get that job. But what you will take away are the skills and where you need to improve. And then the next day you improve that one percent. And it's that one percent every day that makes a massive difference. Um, so for me, I lost, I've lost a lot of weight over the last few years, and it was just ten thousand steps, limiting your calories, like all that type of thing. But it was the one percent every single day that made them the big difference. Um, I had a a thing I've done a lot of random I'm a jack of all trades master of none I didn't do a huge amount of reading and I was like I want to read some books I was like right okay I'll do one a month one a month is essentially 10 pages a day 10 pages a day takes 20 minutes that's all I did oh yeah 10 pages it never took like you know when you're sitting scrolling I didn't scroll get a book out so things like that one percent chuck yourself in the deep end and just take risks because often you don't regret the things you didn't do
0: I'm actually reading this book at the minute by Stephen King, but it's like his memoir, like about writing. I think he wrote it in something like maybe 2001 or like, you know, more than 20 years ago. And so this is like before the smartphone era. And he is talking about the things required to be a good writer. And he says, the number one thing is you have to read. And he was talking about the opportunities to read. He's like, I always have a book with me. And he was like, there's actually so many opportunities when, you know, you've got five minutes to kill, you've got 10 minutes to kill, whip out the book, have a read of it. And I was like, okay, I'm definitely doing this because unfortunately right now, what I use in those times is my phone. How much better is it if you can just like dive into a little book for like five or 10 minutes? Which sounds idealistic. Like, I don't know if I'll actually do it or not, but like, it sounds great to me. So I'm going to try and give it a shot and see what happens I was also stalking your LinkedIn a bit over the past week and I saw that one of the things you like to do is, is is that you love learning and that's even evident like from this conversation that we're just having now. What else are you learning about right now?
1: Oh, uh, okay. So, I've actually got books next week, a barista's course. <laughs> Because I'm like, I want to know how to make coffee. Like, I love it so much. I want to know how to make my own. So I'm going to go and do a Bristol's course next week. That'll be number one. I am still learning to DJ. So I took up DJing uh, about a year ago. I just bought myself some decks. I literally, this is how this happened. I was driving down Spit Road, which is on the way into Manly, and I was listening to History, K- And it was like Friday anthems or something, throwback Friday. And I was like, I could do this. This is easy. So that afternoon, I booked a six-week course and then bought myself some decks. So I'm still trying to improve that because I'm not ready to be on Kistri yet.
0: (laughs) How did you even start on that? Because it feels like something that like there's a little bit of a barrier to even like get anything going. Like how did you kind of get like take that little first step?
1: I had the idea at literally like 10 a.m. By lunchtime, I'd found a couple of people in the city who do it and by that night I'd booked a six-week course so it was a local lady in Surrey Hills I went every Wednesday night for six weeks she was brilliant and her like job is essentially to run you through this workshop and then if you want she will help you get like booked and onto events and things so you can actually take it pretty seriously with her like she is really cool so she is a most boring job in the world she's a sales force like Uh, project manager essentially so really boring right she's mid-50s she's got two boys like long-term husband and she did the closing parties in ibiza last year and i'm like that's cool that's like a life by design right
0: (laughs) what the hell this person says amazing you have to give me your contact details because this is one of these things that's been on like the back burner for me for a while of like something that i just like love to try and like see if i could enjoy it you talk about life by design people have kind of like different ideas of what that means but what does that mean for you in your life like how have you applied this
1: I am actively actually working on this now like me and Danielle who I'm going into business with are working incredibly hard and she's already ahead of me in this she's been running her company for a number of years and kind of bringing me into that but she's moving back to Portugal and she's going to look after Europe and London and I'm going to stay in APAC and the life by design looks like this for me like I want to be able to travel freely between the UK and Australia as many times as I want a year if I get a business class flight, even better. I want to be able to have a lock up and go in the UK and a house in Australia. Not anything major. Like, I don't want 10 bedroom houses. Like, I just want something sensible that you can fly in between the two. I want to be able to recreate what I had as a child. Now, I thought that was really easy. I look back and go, I had such a nice childhood. But somehow, my mum and dad and my family and that environment, I just think was really special. So, I want to recreate that. And I want to. Have a coffee, have a dog walk, go to the beach every day. Like I actually look at my life by design, and it's not hugely different from what I'm actually living now. If you gave me a million dollars tomorrow, what would change? I'd probably just fly business class home. That would be it. There wouldn't be a huge change to my life.
0: But is kind of the crux of it that you work backwards from those things, right? Because then it's like, okay, if these are the things that are important to you and like what you want in your life, and then you probably work backwards to, well, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to need x amount of money or you know a job that allows me to travel you know multiple times per year is that kind of like the idea behind it
1: i worked with a financial advisor initially again from a recommendation of a friend and i was like but i've got no money they were like no no it's fine just go and speak to them i was like okay so i went and spoke to them and i these are my right grand rules right i said right i want to retire at 50 i want two houses one in each country i want an income of x amount of money residual income not having to work per year and we worked backwards and she went, right, oh, you've got 20 years. She went, I see no problem with that. And I was like, perfect. So it was almost like, again, it's the little things in life, right? Like continue compounding interest, save what you're saving. And over time you will have wealth. So I worked really hard to not only keep 20 years in my brain, because I think God, anything could happen in 20 years, but how much of that 20 year life can I grab now? And I would say probably 60% of it. I haven't got two houses yet, but 60% of that. My day-to-day is there. I've got to create a residual income and I've got to get two places, but working on it.
0: It's a really nice way to look at things. I can't remember who I had this conversation with before. I think it might've been through therapy, but it was about kind of like understanding, like I have this idea of like what I want my life to be, right? And the very easy thing to do is then to say, well, to get that, I need to go and get all of these other things, right? That is going to like allow me to have that. And the question that she asked me was like, could you have any of that today? Like, could like, could you just switch something in your life? This is like, you can just have that now. And you actually realize a lot of things are like, I actually could, like, I don't need to go and like, get all of this other stuff to allow me to, to have these things. Like, you can just change how you're spending your time. Like, a lot of them aren't even like financially constrained. So it's just like, no, these are just, these are just choices. Like, you just, you just need to make the decision to like, Do this thing now and stop waiting, you know, and putting these kind of like clauses on it that, oh, when I do this, then I can do the other thing that I'm actually going to want. It's like, no, just just, just fucking do them now. Like
1: Do that. Yeah, 100%. And it's that piece like, oh, money doesn't equal happiness, but happiness usually involves money. So it makes life easier. Is essentially like the, the thing that I think of, but it doesn't create happiness. And that's what I've worked really hard to do over the last five years is because I love the Merc, I love the house, I loved all that stuff. But the deep root happiness is in, let's go for a dog walk on the beach in the sun and you never have to wear trousers. Like I hate wrapping up, I don't wanna do it. So it's like build the foundations of what you really makes you happy, costing nothing and then build on that. Because when the wealth then comes in years and years to come, you know that if you lose it all tomorrow, you've got your foundations in a really nice place. And I think that's easier said than done a lot of the time I know, but that's something that I've personally worked on uh, really hard to make a real life decision on.
0: You've moved a lot over the past few years, you know, between Australia and the UK and New Zealand. What have you learned about moving where you live?
1: People are genuinely lovely. Like you move to new places a lot. You start a lot of new jobs you've got to become incredibly well versed in making friends. Um, And also, how easy was it to make friends at five? And then you get to 32 and you're like, oh God, I can't even remember how to speak to people. (laughs) Like it becomes so much harder. So actually just moving around a lot has um, pushed me into those situations. And I now would say I have a friends around the world, which is pretty much a village now where I can go and knock on the door of. And to anyone that's like, you know, should I go traveling? Should I not go traveling? Should I stay where I am? Should I not? Like, for me, it was all about go and experience how someone else lives. You might not want to do that forever. It might not be the way that you want to live. But it's good to learn how other people live and what they live by and what their environment looks like and all that type of stuff. Like one of my best friends, um, she lives in London and they don't she doesn't like australia she's like it's so boring it's just beaches and i'm like yeah and you live she lives in london life incredibly well like a tourist and i explained to her i live australia like a tourist like i still wake up and go oh my god look what's in front of me yeah i mean you're the same you've moved like we not we're very lucky and you can see that when you're here about the environment that you're in
0: and i love that idea of like meeting other people and experiencing different cultures whatever else i'm not somebody who i'm like oh i have this like big travel bug that i want to you know, go and like see all of the world. I actually don't really have that. But what I found is when you do experience different cultures and meet different people, you can just like pick up little bits of what they do, a little bit of their beliefs or their values. And if something resonates with you, you can hang on to that. And then you can kind of like build your own collage of different things from all different parts of at the world but it's it's whatever works for you and that's really nice but if you don't meet them then you kind of never get exposed to them and there might be lots of different things out there that you know you would really like to do or you find kind of beneficial or whatever else you you kind of talk about that that people people are really nice that's a really like positive thing to say and i actually do tend to agree with you but you also talk about making friends like in your you know late 20s or 30s and like how that can be a lot more difficult than when you were five is there anything that you found helpful we're kind of making friends, you're building a community when you move to somewhere new.
1: My word of advice is it just takes time. I think when I first got here, I was like, Why don't I why don't I have my friends like I have at home? Like and the reason for that is they're friends that have been friends for twenty years and that takes time. Like we've got a couple of groups of really core friends out here now and that's taken four or five years to to build. And it's a two way thing. Like you get what you give. We've moved an hour out of Sydney now. So it's up to me and my other half to keep in contact with our friends and vice versa. And they come down a lot. We go up a lot. But it's about effort. And as long as we're both putting in that. The other thing I think is really interesting is there's some of my friends at home now who are just friends because we've known each other since we were four. They're still brilliant people, but they're friends because we've known each other since we were four. If we were to meet now at 32, we probably have nothing in common, but that doesn't mean they're any less valuable, valuable but I build on both those friendships. Lindsay makes, takes a mick out of me, like between four and seven every night, like I'm voice noting half of the UK being like, how's your day been? Texting them, FaceTiming my mum, me and my mum FaceTime every day. Like that's a non-negotiable. I say I'm incredibly selfish. I'm also incredibly loyal to the people that I love and that love me back. Um, and once you're in, you're in. Like Lindsay, will be like, how do you still know that person? and I'm like well because we met here and we met there and I keep in contact with people and I make a conscious effort to keep keep that circle alive I guess
0: and I think it's like if there's people that you've met even if you haven't spent that much time with them if you kind of share certain values with them or you just kind of click with them it's actually a lot easier than you think to keep a close relationship you know all it takes is like maybe a voice note every now and again and you know what you mightn't have seen each other for a year or two but then when you catch up, you get on great. It's not like this kind of awkward like weirdness. But I think that, that that happens when you kind of click with people.
1: A little rule. If you're thinking of them, text them. So if I'm thinking of someone, I'll message them. Because then you go, oh, I'll message them tomorrow and you don't. So if I'm thinking of someone, I'll just be like, just thinking of you hope you well. Or how's your, how's this been? Or just something tiny, but just I always will. If I'm thinking of someone, I'll message them.
0: I really like that. That's great. I asked people this question. I'm always interested to hear their responses, which is, if you were to go back and you just sit down with the Lucy from let's say five years ago and have a conversation with her what is it that you would say to her
1: <sighs> trust the process it will come good just keep doing what you're doing and stand by your morals and stand by your decisions because like it will come good also when you ask someone to look five years ahead like you go oh like This might have happened, but they're normally quite small tweaks. When you ask someone to look back, my life's entirely different. So the size of things that have happened five years ago are much greater than what I anticipate will look forward in five years. So Lucy, five years ago, I would say, stick with it. It's going to be all right. You're going to get through it. And yeah, you will be happy. (laughs) Be comfortable in the uncomfortable.
0: And if we were to flip that, right? So you're saying that when you look back five years, the kind of level of change that happens in your life is probably much more different to what happens when you think forward five years but let's just say we did look forward five years so let's say we sit down and have a conversation in five years time right i get you back on the podcast and you say steve like the last five years have been amazing like they've been so so good in ways that you know in so many different ways like what is it that you know you hoped you hope would have happened in those five years
1: in five years time I want to be running a incredibly successful business with Danielle between EMEA and APAC I want to still be living everything that I do day to day now like I don't want to swap any of that out and I'm not even sure if we'll have a house by that point but maybe there might be another set of hands and feet running around maybe Um, there's a little there's a thing in Australia that they call little nippers and that is like talk about wholesome like you go down to sunday to the beach with these kids and you just chuck them in the surf like that's cute <laughs> like i want to do that
0: it, it's absolutely amazing at the start of this year i did a bit of a road trip i drove from like sydney to to perth over like three or four months and you know or you go stop at all like all these little like beaches and like, seaside towns along the way and you see all the various little nippers that are going out um and then you'd say in campsites and it was school holidays at the time so you've got like all of these families who are there with like their little kids and like they're playing cricket or whatever else it is, and tell you, if ever you were somebody who didn't want to have kids and you wanted to convince them that, that they did want to have kids, send them on that trip or just send them down to to Nippers because you're just there and you're like, this is the most wholesome, beautiful thing in the world. I'm like, I want all of the children like now.
1: <laughs> so cute yeah it's very really cute honestly don't see too much changing um like i i'm sure it will but i think if i can have a foundation of what there is now and build an incredibly successful business with doing things i'm genuinely care about that'd be great and everyone's still fit and healthy because i'm really lucky at the moment you know living on the other side of the world you appreciate that, that your fan, family and friends are healthy so touch wood that continues
0: <laughs> i hope and i'm sure that all of that will happen for you. You're a very cool person, Lucy. I appreciate you kind of coming on and and sharing all of this with me. You've got a very, very, very interesting story. But also I think what's cool is like, I would say that you're quite self-reflective as well. So sometimes you have people who kind of built these lives and um, for themselves that they enjoy, but like, you know, by chance and that's great, right? Like I'm very happy for those people, but you seem like someone who's kind of been like quite conscious about that and, and thinking about like designing your life um, and reflecting on like how you make decisions and what it is that kind of brings you happiness and you know wanting to have a wholesome life and so i think it's really cool to talk to somebody who's reflective in that way because it means that they, they can share like their journeys um, with other people and people can hopefully take something from that as well so i really enjoyed this conversation i hope you did too i hope it was fun for you
1: yeah it's been really good i appreciate you having me here
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation that I just had with Lucy. If you did and you want to help the podcast, there's two things that you can do. One is leave us a review, just hit the stars button on whatever podcast player you use. And the second thing is to share it with a friend. If you think this episode or one of the other episodes might be helpful for somebody who's going through their own journey of trying to figure out what they want to do, if they're considering a career change, or have a big life decision that they need to make, share this with somebody. I would really appreciate it and hopefully it would be helpful for them too. But that's all for now. I'll see you next week for episode 32 of the Two Roads Podcast.